0: Father, in these moments, we come to Your Word because we, as a church, as one body, need to hear from You. Lord, no one's gathered together here in this place. No one's tuned in online to hear the foolish ramblings of some preacher. But God, in spite of a weak and unworthy preacher, would You speak? Spirit, would You move through Your Word? God, that things that are said that are mine would be forgotten... And, Lord, only what you would have us to hear would be what is heard. God, help us to be encouraged and challenged, comforted and convicted all at the same time. And the most incredible thing, Father, is all of that is possible through you, Holy Spirit, working through the reading, the teaching, the proclamation of your holy word. God, would you move among us now? Would you teach us and instruct us? For we long to hear from you. We ask this in the precious name of Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to you, God, our Father in heaven. Amen. Amen. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to take it and turn with me once again to the book of Galatians. We will be in Galatians chapter 5. There's only six chapters in Galatians, so if you hit Ephesians, you probably only went one chapter too far. Just back up just a little bit. So we're in the New Testament. We are in Galatians. We have made it today to Galatians 5 chapter 5 if you didn't happen to bring your own copy of scripture there should be one either under the pew or in the back of the pew in front of you Uh, feel free to use your tablet or phone or if you just prefer you can follow along on the screens but whichever way you're accessing the word of the Lord I would ask if you're physically able would you please stand out of reverence for the public reading of God's holy word as we look together now at Galatians chapter 5 verses 1 through 15. I will read for us, and after I have concluded verse 15, I'll say this is the word of the Lord. I encourage you by responding to respond with a hearty thanks be to God. The word of the Lord says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than the one and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another... Watch out that you are not consumed by one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. As we return to the book of Galatians this week, we left off in verse 1 of chapter 5. If you'll remember from last week, if you were with us or able to join us in, in one way or another, Uh, We had a backpack with a cinder block in it that represented our slavery to sin, our slavery to the law. And Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in verse 1 of chapter 5 that we are no longer to return to that yoke of slavery. We are no longer to return to the burden of being enslaved by the law and enslaved by our sin. I want to just expound on that for just a moment before we move further into the chapter. But I want to remind you of a story. This is, this is what happens to us when we have been living in sin and have succumbed to the temptations of the flesh. We are very much like an elephant trained for the circus. You may be very familiar with this story, but the way that they used to train elephants for the circus back when they had elephants in the circus, that is. They would take those elephants when they were very, very young and they would tie them with a very sturdy, strong rope to a pole that was very much secured deep in the ground and try as that elephant might, it could never free itself from the rope or the pole to which it was secured. So after a period of time, it would give up and every night they would tie it to the pole again. They were very intentional about taking the rope, putting it around the elephant's neck and tightening it, and then they secure it to a post. Well, if you ever attended the circus back when they had elephants, back when the circus was in its prime, if you A amen, right? Back when the elephants in the circus, hand in hand, right? You realize they took elephants out of the circus. Is that news to y'all? Like y'all are looking at me deadpan right now, and I think I've just informed some of you there's no elephants in the circus, and you've never been to an elephantless circus. And let me tell you, it's a drag, okay? It's just not as much fun. The elephants were the best part. Or maybe that's just me because I've been an Alabama fan most of my life. I don't know, okay? If you're an Auburn fan, probably couldn't care less about the elephants. Anywho, maybe we're a little more awake. Track with me. Here we go. You go to the circus when they had elephants, and you may be able to walk by and see the grown adult elephants standing there, often not tied to a thing, but not moving. And what they did is they didn't have to tie it to the pole anymore. They put the rope around the elephant's neck and tighten it. And when they tighten it, the elephant understands because it's been conditioned all of its life to know when this rope is around my neck, I can't go anywhere. So they often don't have to even tie the elephants down. They will not leave. In the same way, we have been set free in Christ, but we're still living like that rope is tied to something. We have all the power and all the strength that an adult elephant would have to free itself. There's no way you can take a rope and tie down an adult elephant just to a simple post. They have all the strength that they need to break free, but they have been conditioned to believe they are enslaved. And so what happens to believers is even though Paul writes and says, for freedom, Christ has set us free, we still feel like we are enslaved. Have you ever met a dog that's been abused? A dog that has been poorly treated all of its life and you go to pet that dog and when you raise your hand, that dog instantly flinches and cowers away. As soon as you raise your hand, you're not going to hit the dog. You're going in for a pet, for for a caress to just love scratch behind the ear. But that dog has been conditioned to understand that every raised hand means a hit is coming. Folks, so many of us, have been enslaved to the desires of our flesh, to the slavery and the yoke and the burden of sin that we forget we've got all the power we need to break free. And that hand is no longer a hand to strike us, but a hand to help us up and a hand to carry us along. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then in that freedom. And then he moves back into this Discussion about this medical procedure. I know that we have little ears listening in. So we're just going to talk about this as a very private and intimate medical procedure. If you accept this medical procedure as a basis for your salvation. If you think that that freedom that is in Christ is only attainable through having surgery that Paul is talking about in here. Then you have made grace useless. Grace no longer is good to cover you because you have rejected God's grace by saying, I've got to have surgery. Imagine if we said you can't be a Christian if you got your tonsils. All right. If you have tonsils, there's no way you could ever be a true Christian. So you believe in Jesus. Then you go have your tonsils taken out. Then God will love you and accept you. Well, then somebody comes along and says, dude, what are you doing? You can love Jesus and have your tonsils and everything will be just fine. You don't have to have your tonsils taken out just to follow Jesus. Well, if you hear that and you believe that, but then you go, I still don't think I'm acceptable to God. There's no way that his grace could cover my sins. I'm going to schedule to have my tonsils taken out just because I want to be acceptable to God. That's what Paul is writing about. says Christ will be of no advantage to you. Everyone who accepts this surgery is obligated to keep the whole law. What happens if you think that God will only accept you if you have your tonsils taken out or the medical procedure done? What happens is you have now obligated yourself to fulfill all the ceremonial and ritual laws of the Old Testament. So James talks about the reverse of this. In the, in the book of James, James says that if you fail in one point of the law, you failed in every point of the law. So you may say, well, God's not going to keep me out of heaven. God's not going to kick me out of his presence just because maybe I've told some lies in my life. Maybe I gossiped. Maybe I overate. But, I mean, I didn't murder anybody. I never cheated on my spouse. I never did any of the serious sins that we so-called put in these categories that God doesn't see. Sin is sin, and one sin, James says, is enough to count us as breaking all the law. So in the same way, Paul is writing in Galatians that if you accept this surgery, you are obligated to keep the whole law. If you want to be saved by the law, and you go have this surgery done so that God can accept you, then you are obligating yourself not to just keep that one law, but to keep all of them. And grace is is no longer of any advantage to you because you have rejected God's grace. The act of trying to fulfill the law negates you saying God's grace covers me. Because you can say what you believe all day long, but that's just what you profess. You can say anything. You can say whatever you want, but what you live, that's what you believe. And if somebody comes along and tells you that if you don't follow all the laws in the Old Testament, so you start following the laws so that you can be saved in order to be saved, then God's grace obviously plays no role in your life because you think you're saving yourself by living up to the law. Paul is decimating these false teachers who came in and said, you must keep God's law. But see, there's, there's two different types of law that are being talked about here. Right There is the ceremonial ritual law that we've already alluded to earlier in the sermon. And then there's God's moral law. The procedure that Paul's talking about falls under the ceremonial law, the hand-washing, the sacrifice of animals. If you're trusting that Jesus' death and resurrection covers your sin, and then you still go out and you're slaughtering lambs to cover your sin... Well, obviously, you don't believe Jesus' blood was enough to cover you. So Christ frees us from the ceremonial law. We don't have to read Leviticus and Deuteronomy and keep all the ceremonial laws, but we are called, once we trust in Christ, to leave our sin behind. And because we have been saved, we live and follow the moral law. We live and follow the ethical law. We strive to be the people that God has now called us and freed us to be. We don't do this so that we will be saved. We do this because we are saved. Paul mentions this. He says in verse 5, For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Jesus is the hope of of righteousness. We are waiting for Jesus. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. He doesn't say faith sitting on its rear end through love. He doesn't say faith stuffing its face through love. He says faith working through love. Faith is an action word. And so many times we like to just tie it to this belief. I don't know we've been over this, but this is essential to grasping what the heart of the gospel is. If we think we have to work for salvation, then we have failed to understand the gospel. But if we think that we don't go to work once we believe the gospel because we believe the gospel, then we have failed to understand the gospel. Paul says it is faith working through Love. Martin Luther, in his commentary on Galatians, says that you can no more separate works from faith than you can separate light and heat from fire. Faith is an action word. You show your faith by loving others, you show your faith by living out the gospel, by living the life that Christ lived for us. This is how our faith is on display. People know that we trust in Jesus because they see our lives. And then Paul continues. I love verse 7. Verse 7 says, You were running really well. You had it figured out. You were doing really great. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Look, this verse Guys, this is the verse that is the blooper of all the sports reels, okay? This is the running back who broke free and ran 109 yards to score a touchdown. But as he's running across, he drops that ball. But he dropped the ball back here, and the goal line's up here. He thought, you know, nobody's even close to him. But he dropped the ball, and he celebrated too early. Man, he was running so good. What happened? Who hindered you from making it into the goal line and scoring a touchdown? Have y'all seen the bike races? And There's tons of these videos on YouTube. If you just have some time one afternoon, just look up, celebrate it too early. I mean, it's just great. You can laugh at these people. This guy was on a cycle and he holds up his hands like, yeah, he's riding hands free, slowing down and nobody's digging right behind him. He ain't got no clue, but he he's right by him, passes. He comes in second. Mr. Celebrates too early. And the guy who dug in and ran to the end of the race, that's the man who won the race. That's what Paul's talking about. You guys were running great. You had broken free. You were on the right for a touchdown. Why on earth did you drop the ball? Why on earth did you celebrate before you made it to the finish line? Paul says, run the race with endurance. Run this race. You were running well. Look with me at Hebrews chapter 12. Run this race with endurance. This metaphor gets used over and over again in the Bible. All right? Running this race for Christ without being hindered, without celebrating too early. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, we're called to finish the race. We're called to run with endurance, not to celebrate too early, not to celebrate victories over sins too early, not to take our eyes off of the prize of finishing the race and standing before the Lord. I've got three examples this morning from the racing world, all right? This is not football. You don't have to understand a complicated sport like football or soccer or baseball. It's just racing, right? Everybody's got racing. You start, you go to a point. Whoever gets there first, they win. Everybody with me? You now know everything you need to know for races. That's the whole, that's all of it. You wait till they say go before you start. Last thing you needed to know. All right. We run with endurance this race. And there's stories that are littered through our past that just exemplify this perfectly. There's a man named John Stephen Aquari. John Stephen Aquari, you may be familiar with. He was in the 1968 Olympics in Mexico City, and he was running the marathon. He was from South Africa, and he had gone there, and he was running while he ran, doing very well, positioned to place very high on the pedestal and do very well. He had a very bad and tragic fall, and he dislocated his knee severely and then messed up one of his shoulders as well. He he stood up, and kind of adjusted himself, and he started moving again. And all the medical people said, no, 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 you you don't have to keep going, sir. You've got every reason to stop. And he he kept going. Sometimes he jogged, sometimes he walked. This marathon began at 3 o'clock, but late into the evening, Mr. Akwari was the only one who had not finished. And there's still just a handful of people who are in the stadium. And he hobbles across the finish line. Absolutely dead last. But you know what? There were seventy-four people that competed in that marathon. Seventeen of them did not finish. John Stephen Akwari was not one of those seventeen. He finished. So of course, this is miraculous. And everybody is shoving cameras and microphones in his face, and they say, Why did you do this, sir? Why did you you gave yourself further injury by continuing onward? Why would you press forward? And he gave one of the most famous quotes of racers. He said, My country did not send me thousands of miles across the world to compete and start a race in the Olympics. They sent me to finish the race. I did not want to disappoint my country. And so, injured as he was, he finished the race. Folks, we're called to run with endurance and to finish the race. But see, sometimes we get confused along the way and we think that this is a dog-eat-dog kind of a race. Look at how Paul continues when we move down to verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Don't celebrate too early. Don't consider that your freedom is an opportunity for us to just sin and do whatever we want because we have freedom in Christ. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Folks, don't miss... All the repetitive language that Paul uses here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Don't bite one another. Don't devour one another. You will consume one another. And unfortunately, when we look back at church history, what we see is not a church that was helping each other to finish the race, but a church that was eating itself so that one person could finish first. It's not that kind of race. Instead of seeing Christ, we see cannibalism. We bite and devour and consume one another and when somebody stumbles and falls in the race, we walk by them and kick them so that their injury is a little bit worse and so that they can't get up and beat us because we want to stand before Jesus and we want Jesus to say we did a better job than they did. It's not about that. Do not bite and devour one another. When Paul's talking about all the law is summed up in one word, that's a translation. It's a Hebrew translation. When they talk about the Ten Commandments, they talk about the ten words in Jewish circles in Hebrew. There's ten commands, ten statements, ten words. All the words can be summarized in love your neighbor as yourself. I told you I had three examples. We're going to look at one more in just a moment. We're going to look at a man named Johnny Brownlee. Johnny Brownlee was running in a triathlon And in this triathlon, he was set in the World Series of the triathlon races to win and take the first place prize for the whole year. There's about 700 meters left to go in this last triathlon race in Cozumel. And if he wins, then he wins the whole year's worth of triathlons. He's number one. His brother is in third place running behind him. And I want us to watch the video of what it looks like not to bite and devour and consume one another. This is what it looks like to love and serve one another in this race.
1: Johnny has to win and to be sure of taking the title. And right now he seems to have lost control of his legs. And this is worrying. Oh, and he's starting to slow. And there is a little way to go. There's half a K to go. And Johnny is running out of time and is losing. he's losing his sense of direction. This is worrying. Oh, goodness me. This is a horrible sight. Jonathan Brownlee has lost it now and has staggered to a stop at the side of the course. And Alice has stopped to help him along. And Alistair is going to try and carry his brother home. Dramatic scenes in Cozumel, as the Olympic champion carries his younger brother towards the podium. Oh my God, I cannot believe what we are seeing here, Matt. Is this allowed? Is he allowed to help his brother? You know, is that part of the rules? I'm not too sure. We've never seen anything like this before. Unbelievable scenes unbelievable scenes in Cozumel the Brownlee brothers arm in arm but it's not by way of celebration Henry Schumann's celebrating he's going to win this race in Cozumel out of nowhere but we have to be concerned about the health of Jonathan Brownlee and they're not even on the final stretch yet Schumann wins in Cozumel the brothers are coming home arm in arm To finish in second and third, but Johnny can hardly stand. And Alistair is having to drag him across the line and pushing him home, pushing him home for second. Johnny finishes in second. Goodness me, what an incredible conclusion here. As he gets close
0: to the end of the race, 700 meters left to go. His hydration had gone wrong somewhere along the way in the triathlon, and his whole body's just completely... Shutting down, can't even go where he wants to go, go in a straight line. I know it may have looked kind of harsh there at the end because his brother kind of shoved him there. You know, some brotherly rivalry going on or something, but it's far from the case. Even though Alistair, who's a two-time Olympic champion, was in the race to try and win that triathlon and was in the series, the same series that his brother was in, as they got to the finish line, not only did he carry his brother when his brother stumbled, but he pushed his brother over the finish line before He went over the finish line. So his brother finished second to have a better chance at winning the whole series. And he came in third on purpose. It was miraculous enough and wonderful enough that he stopped to help his brother and carried him along. Nobody would have thought anything about it if he just crossed the line and let his brother come in third. He was being a good Samaritan and a good brother. And there have been debates on, well, is it legal? What are we going to do? That's what it looks like. Not to bite and devour one another. But in church life, sadly, that's the exception and not the rule. We're brothers and sisters running in a race together. And when one of us's hydration fails and our body is falling apart and we've stumbled into sin or we've wandered from the gospel, we don't restore each other with gentleness. We run by and kick each other when we're down. We bite and devour one another. We act like we're saved by how good we are, and we're better than those people because they stumbled. I don't care that they're part of my church. They can't live the Christian life as well as I do. God's going to love me better than God loves them. That's not loving your neighbor. Need we be reminded of the story of the Good Samaritan? To know what it looks like to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Folks, we run this race and we run with endurance, but it is guaranteed that we are still going to stumble and fall. We're still going to be like that elephant and think that we're enslaved to sin. And so I, I just have one more video that I want to show. Just, just bear with me. This is the story of an incredible man named Derek Redman from the 1992 Olympic Games in Barcelona. So let's watch this video together. You see, Derek begins the race... He'd been training for eight years for this. He'd been through numerous surgeries to get his body back in running condition. This is the semifinals. And as he runs, there's a tragedy that takes place, just like in many of our Christian walks, many of our Christian lives. At that moment, his hamstring wasn't pulled. It wasn't just ripped a little bit. It was torn in half. His hamstring is no longer connected. So he falls down and he says, there's no way I can go on. Folks, there's so many times where our Christian brothers and sisters fall down and there's just no way that we can go on. There's no way that they can go on. But no, no, I've got to finish the race. I've got to do this. The pain's excruciating. I can't run. It hurts just for my leg to touch the ground. I'm never going to make it. I'm never going to get to the end of this race, but I've got to get there. This is our life. And out of the stands, Eric's dad jumps down onto the track. Runs up, holds him up. Is this all right, son? It's okay, son. I got you. We'll get to the end. It's all right, son. Derek just buries his head in his father's shoulder. And his dad said, I'm going to get you to the finish line, son. Don't you worry. Folks, do you remember what we read in Hebrews? Jesus is the founder, the perfecter, and the finisher of our faith. And when we can't run the race anymore, and when we've stumbled and we've been injured and we think there's no way that God would accept us or allow us to continue, our Father comes out of nowhere from heaven, running to meet us, to pick us up, and carry us the rest of the way to the finish line. I love as all these other people come by and tell them, you can't do this, sir, this is illegal, this is against the rules. That man says, this is my son, and the rules don't apply, back off. And he walks his son all the way across the finish line, holding his hand up, celebrating because his son was able to finish. Folks, that's the Christian life. We are running in a race that we never can finish on our own. We need our brothers and sisters to come alongside us and pick us up and help us along the way. We need our Father to move out of the stands and come down into the race and carry us so that we finish. But we're too busy biting and devouring and consuming one another like cannibals to show the grace and mercy of the Gospel while we run the race. Folks, I wonder this morning, how are we living out Philippians 2, verses 2 and 3. Loving one another. Not doing anything out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility considering others as more important than ourselves. How often are we the man who just ran by Johnny Brownlee so that he could finish the race and come in first? And how often are we, Alistair Brownlee, coming alongside and say, I'll carry you, brother. How often do we cast aside the sinner who has been severely injured and hurt by their sin? Hurt those around them, too. And we count them out of the race. And all the while, our Father from heaven says, no, 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 no. That's my child. And I'm going to carry him if I have to, but they're going to make it through this race. Church, maybe you're here this morning or maybe you're watching online and, and you don't have a father to come and get you in the race because you've never been adopted into God's family. You see, that's why it's so important that Paul talks about adoption earlier in Galatians. Because when we trust in Jesus, we are his sons, and he will make sure that we finish the race. But if you don't trust in Jesus, you don't have anybody to help you finish the race. Matter of fact, you might not even be running in it. This morning, I encourage you if you've never trusted in Christ and said, I believe that the only way to be saved is by the shed blood of Jesus, by his death, by his burial, and his resurrection, I believe and trust that I can have life. If you've never believed that, I beg of you to trust in Jesus today. And not just make a one-time decision, but decide to let Jesus be your Lord. And follow Him. And run this race for Him and with Him. And run alongside your brothers and sisters. And church, if you're here and you've been walking with Jesus and running this race for a long time, I want to encourage you to think. and Let the Holy Spirit move on our hearts. How often are we helping one another along in this race? And how often are we biting and devouring one another? How often do we like to compare how well we're running to how well somebody else is running? As though if we follow God's law better, God loves us more. Which is never the case. Remember, God loves us all most. So why not stop and help one another in whatever way possible, sacrificially, putting others in front of ourselves, pushing our brother across the line to be in second so we can be in third. Is that how you're living? I know when I look at my life, that's not always how I'm living. Today's a good day to let Galatians 5 be a reminder of how we ought to run if we've been running with Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. We thank You for the opportunity to run in this race. Thank You that You are the One. You are the perfect Father who will come and pick us up when we stumble and when we fall. When we return to our sin, You pick us up and carry us so that we make it across the finish line. Lord, we love You. This morning, if there's anyone, Father, who doesn't trust in You, would You move on their heart so that they might begin to trust and follow You and that they would trust and follow You for every day of their life from here on out. Lord, if there are those of us who we need to repent, Lord, because instead of looking to our brother or our sister when they stumble to pick them up and help them, Lord, we've been looking at them to judge them. We've been measuring that We're living for you better than they are instead of seeing that it's our job to finish together. Lord, help us to stop the reputation of the church eating itself and to set a new standard here at Bethany and let it begin today, Lord, so that when people in the rest of the world see our church and see the way we love one another, they won't see a church full of cannibals eating one another, they'll see a church and they'll see Christ in us. Father, may that be the reputation of your church known as Bethany here in Andalusia, Alabama. May we run the race with all endurance, not be distracted or pulled aside, knowing that you'll help us finish the race, helping each other all along the way. Father, we ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ, Amen.